1: Mike Foschi here bringing you another episode of setting the pace we have a fun one for you but someone reach out to Alex I just don't know where this man is he is MIA no I'm just kidding look I know we got football season starting up it's an exciting time but never forget that we're here for our Indiana Pacers and I just can't wait until training camp starts but until then I thought we'd have a fun one for you we're bringing on Jackson Gatlin he is the host of of Locked On Rockets and Locked On NBA. And we're going to be talking about all sorts of things. We're talking about the rookie class from this year, Benedict Matherin, Jabari Smith Jr. We're also talking about Daniel Tice. Tice was a Rocket last year. And all things in between as it relates to hitting the reset button. The Rockets know... uh, they know, they know what we're going through right now. And right now, they, they've had quite a few young players that I think is going to speed up the process. The Pacers in a similar boat. So I thought Jackson can relate to what we're going through and what we could look forward to moving forward. Before I spoil the rest of the episode, how about we just bring on Jackson and uh, hear from him?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back. We have a very special guest for you. We have Jackson Gatlin. You know him from the host of Locked On Rockets and Locked On NBA. Jackson, what's going on? What's up, Michael? Happy to be back on the program. It's been too long, man, but I'm
2: happy to be here. Happy to talk a little NBA, a little Pacers basketball with you. It's always a good time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how often you get to talk about the Pacers. So, you know, (laughs) this might be a treat. I know I get to talk about them, but for me, it never gets old. But, you know, we don't get to talk Houston Rockets basketball, so I'm excited for today. Now, both of our franchises, the Rockets, the Pacers, two franchises that... I feel like they're mainstays in the playoffs year after year. Yet we've officially bottomed out and hit the reset button. Jackson, you share what we're going through right now. Do you think it was time for both franchises to hit the reset button?
2: I'd have to say, yeah. I mean, it just—we'll start with the Houston situation first. I mean, you know, they—they they basically run their course with James Harden. Once a star player makes up their mind that they don't want to be a part of an organization anymore, there's very little left that you can do. I mean, you could try to hold them hostage and and make them fall back in love with the organization like the Nets are trying to do with KD currently. Uh, But, uh, you know, I don't don't have high hopes for that situation panning out in any positive, you know, shape or fashion. And I've also got, you know, uh, inherent uh, bias in in wanting to see that situation pan out as poorly as possible for the Brooklyn Nets because the Rockets own their draft picks through 2027. But I digress, right? James Harden, mentally done, checked out. It was time for the Rockets to hit the reset button. And they did it in about as solid of a fashion as he could, right? They brought in the huge draft haul for James Harden. They didn't get, you know, a clear-cut cornerstone talent back for him, but that gave them the flexibility to bottom out that very first year and retain their top draft pick. And then they, you know, they picked up Jalen green and uh, you know, he's now the the future face of the franchise. So, and then when you look at the Pacers perspective, yeah, it's, it's tough, right? You know, I constantly have always thought, right? Pacers basketball. That's I, I mentally, I like associate the Pacers with like a top six seed every year, yep. like somewhere in like that six through like three range, like, mm-hmm. you know, competitive in the playoffs, but you know, it, it had, has it run, did it run its course where it's just like, all right, well, we've been competitive, but do you know, do we just need to truly bottom out, you know, try to accrue some of that top end draft talent, and you know, make the situation as good as it can be? And I'll tell you what, man, I, as soon as the the Kings made the trade and sent Tyrese Halliburton packing for Sabonis, I, I was a big Sabonis guy. I, I like I him. I like what he brings to the table. But man, does Tyrese Halliburton look like he can be the guy for the he Pacers? Does. Like he looks so damn good. And, and to me, that's a trade where. It could still work out where it's like a you know both teams walk away feeling like they won. Maybe Sacramento makes that push that they've been wanting to make for the last 15, 20 years, and they actually break into the playoffs. And you know they have a, you know a modicum of playoff success. Cool, whatever. I think this is the type of move that has you know long term success painted all over it for the Pacers. And again, I, I love that they got Tyrese Halliburton for again. I-, I think you walk away like feeling like you walked away robbing the Sacramento Kings blind.
1: Absolutely. Look, I love Sabonis, but at the same point. I love the name on front of the jersey, the Pacers. I'm not rooting for the guy in the back. So, Sabonis, hey, when he was traded, sure, it's like, well, what did we get? Oh, my God. Well, we got an extremely promising now face of the franchise in Tyrese Halliburton. And for that, immediately, I wasn't sad, hurt, or anything. I was excited for what the future is going to be because you talked about it. Yeah, the Pacers always in that. You know, maybe it's three, four, five, six whatever it is, but we weren't getting out of the first round. Every now and then you make a conference finals, and it's great. But if you really want to break through and we're not attracting free agents, we're going to do it through trade or the draft. And right now the Pacers, that's what they're doing. They, they were able to pick up a Tyrese and You were able to pick up Jalen Smith in a trade and show him, you know, hey, we got something great going on over here to the point where he took less money to re-sign with the Pacers. And then also, you know, we'll get into it, you know, some of the recent draft picks that we've had. It made me really excited for what I felt like was a raised ceiling on this team instead of the ceiling being maybe a first-round exit or a second round. You know, anything like that, that's not what we uh, that's not what we root for at the end of the day. You know, hey, we made it to the second round. I mean, come on. So both of our teams now in a, a spot that we haven't really been familiar with the last couple of years. But tell me from a fan perspective, how have Rockets fans been able to support the team knowing that they're not going to be putting up 60 wins like a couple years ago?
2: Look, man, this is the team. The, the Houston Rockets have been the worst team in the organization in back-to-back seasons. A combined 37 wins across two years of play. It, it, is. It, it, has, it hasn't been easy, but here's the thing, right? That first year... Is, is what you call the transformational year. And, and I think the Pacers are very much in a position where they, they didn't, didn't necessarily have, maybe maybe you look at last season as the, as the transformational year or the or the transitional years, as I want to call it. um And then this year is, is in your mind, realistically, year one of the actual rebuild. But that first year was tough because you don't have a top prospect to cheer for. You don't have, you know, a, an insane amount of optimism about the future. You're very much still left in the aftermath of, you know, the guy that you've been cheering for for the last eight years and James Harden, you know, being done with the city, wanting to move on, whatever. That year was tough. Um, But this past year, so effectively year one of the Rockets rebuild, was exciting and fun. And there's optimism and hope because at the end of the day, yeah, everybody wants to hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy over their shoulders, right? Over their head. You want the trophy, you want to compete for play for, for titles, you want to be in the playoffs, you want to be competitive. To me, basketball is so much more though than just, and, and this extends to any sport, it's so much more than just the destination, right? Yeah, it's cool to get to that po- point. It's cool to have the parades, all that. The journey is so much fun. And I, I really well. think that for, for teams that find themselves at the basement you know level or floor level of a rebuild and you get to watch and see these players grow and develop and coalesce and and try to become something you know uh, try to become something you know like a contender over time that to me is so much fun And, and again i followed the rockets since the early 2000s back during the the steve francis and katina mobley era then they traded for trace mcgrady and that's when i really fell in love with the game and so i've had you know Plenty of ups and downs with the team. And now I'm in a position where I get to cover them professionally, which is just, you know, a, a dream come true. But that's the thing about sports, right? Is there's an ebb and a flow. They're just like, it, just like within an isolated 48 in a basketball game, there's an ebb and a flow. There's runs, all of that. And, the nba life cycle you know there sometimes you're at the top and you're competing for chips and you're vying for championships and you're in the playoffs and everything is everything is great right other times you're in the middle of the pack and you're not sure which direction you're going to go whether you're going to you know ascend to the upper echelon or you're going to you know plummet back down to the bottom and then sometimes you find yourselves at the bottom and i think the smart nba teams the teams that the teams that do the rebuilding process properly position themselves for a better long-term success by not trying to hold on to some semblance of relevancy by holding on to and being stuck in that middle of the pack era, right? Which I think the Pacers were in a position where they very much could have done that, right? Mm-hmm. They could have held on to that, you know, grasping at straws. Oh, we're going to fight for the play-in tournament every season. It's going to yep. be tons of fun. No, like now they, they've, you know, they, they've they they picked up, uh, you know, some top-end talent. I love Benedict Matherin, by the way, I think oh, I he's gonna look fantastic. Um, but they're they, they're doing it the right way, right, and trying to potentially, you know fire sale, you know, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, trying to, you know, move on from those guys and accrue more assets and, and and really position themselves for the future. I think it's great. And so my message to Pacers fans is basically just enjoy the ride, right? Enjoy the journey. Enjoy watching Tyrese Halliburton blossom into mm-hmm. what I think is going to be, you know, potentially a superstar caliber player. Uh, you know, enjoy watching Benedict Matherin get accustomed to the NBA game, seeing how those guys feed off of each other, play off of each other, right? And, and, focusing in on hey this is what they're good at hey this is what they need to improve on right and watching for those game to game developments and adjustments which i think makes the season a lot more fun because at times when you're competing for titles and stuff man it's like you're like looking at your watch like all right can we can we like fast forward to the playoffs when the games yeah. like actually matter whereas now it's like every single game matters because you don't know when What game is going to be the game where, you know, Halliburton drops 50, right? And you're like, oh my God, he he exploded, right? And this is so cool. Like, mark your calendar. I remember where I was the first time you dropped 50 or 60 or the the first time he dished out 15 assists or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I can remember so vividly so many of the games from this past Rocket season, whereas the years in the James Harden era, yeah, there's definitely still, like, the big games and some big moments and stuff, but it, it becomes kind of a blur when you're just kind of waiting for the postseason to get there.
1: No, it's totally true. I mean, you're right. Warriors fans right now, I mean, could they possibly care about October, November, December, January, February, March? I mean, really, they can't because they're just like, whatever happens, happens, just get us in the playoffs. But for right now, I mean, you're right. When you talk about, it's not just about championships. We did a mailbag the other day. Someone wrote in, like, how am I even supposed to root for this team knowing that we'll probably never win a championship? Well, you know what? We weren't gonna win one if we were just gonna continue to slap a band-aid on things and say, yeah, you know, Brogdon's probably only gonna play 60 games, Levert's gonna be banged up, and we're gonna we're gonna go through Sabonis. That's not the championship criteria right there. But when you when you invest in young talent and, and high draft picks, you give your yourself that chance. And right now the Pacers have positioned themselves to have a lot of salary cap, a bunch of picks coming in. Young talent. I mean, the the books look good. There's a lot to like about this team coming up, and I've never been so excited about a team that might only win 25 games. It could even be less. But last year, it just hurt to lose close games because we didn't know, like, hey, you know, we're going to need to win 8 out of 10 to maybe be able to make a push. For the plan or what are we going to do and now it's like I could sit back and I could just watch this team grow in front of my eyes if they win games sure hey that's great if they lose games okay we're also heading towards a great pick but now that kind of brings me into the draft you talked about Ben Mathern a bit you know the Rockets walked away with Jabari Smith Jr I think he's a very talented player um, and then Benedict Matherin, probably not someone that was on your radar at pick three, and there's no knock on that because he was projected to go, you know, maybe about five to seven, five to eight. What were your thoughts on Matherin and maybe what he could be? You know, Matherin, you know, I I think very, you know,
2: and again, it's not a slight to Matherin whatsoever, right? This was very clearly like a top three draft. Yeah, it was. There were three prospects kind of you know, head and shoulders above the rest of, or the you know, everybody else. But I had Matherin as my guy, as, as like, you know, if the Rockets did find themselves falling down to pick number five, I was very, like, heavily considering, like, would, would Matherin be the pick at five if you're the Houston Rockets? Or would you just go, you know, maybe you make the argument, right, that, I, I don't know, maybe you say that Keegan Murray and, and, and Jaden and Ivey also belong in that, that, that tier, clo- just a little bit above the top, above everybody else. But I love a lot of what Matherin brings to the table. I think he's almost like, to me, he's almost a bit of like a chameleon on the basketball floor where he can do a little bit of everything that you ask him to do. And I think he he seamlessly almost fits into, you know, a position where if you want him to be on ball, you put the ball in his hands and get things done. If you need him to take a bit more of an off ball role, I think he's capable and has the skill set to do that and be like a really great, like secondary creator off of, say, Tyrese Halliburton. And the my favorite part of his game is I feel like he's an underrated playmaker. You know, when I was looking at all of his tape from college, I just could not help but but notice all of the all of the playmaking. You know, it, it wasn't ever anything like, you know, super crazy, like, you know, and one mixtape level like dimes, but just really effective passing, really solid reads, you know, for for a For a kid as young as he is, right, that's one of the things that I try to look at when evaluating a prospect or evaluating talent is right, just what does your what does your basketball IQ look like, both offensively and defensively? And for me to evaluate somebody offensively, If you're making the right reads consistently and, you know, finding the right man offensively, kicking it to the next, you know, kicking out to the open shooter, swinging it to the right guy on the perimeter, not tunnel visioning offensively, things like that, those really stand out from a talent evaluation perspective. So, yeah, I I had Matherin very much in my, like, five to, like, no, I don't think I ever had him lower than, like, seven on my draft board throughout the entire pre-draft process.
1: Yeah, I really I knew that Portland was interested in him. I didn't think that he would get by Portland at 7, so I knew the Pacers had to get him at 6, and that was if Detroit passed on him. So overall, I- I'm very excited about his game. I thought he looked really good in summer league. He averaged, I think it was 19 points per game in about 21 minutes, so <laughs> averaging nearly a point per minute. So right over here, I, I think that this is someone who you know, sounds pretty crazy, but no Pacer rookie has made the All-Rookie First Team since Rick Smiths in 1989. I do. And that's part of the reason because the Pacers haven't been picking high enough. I was
2: about to say well, what because <laughs> up until up until picking sixth for Mathurin, right? When was the last time y'all had a top ten pick? Like, it's been like what? It, I I can't remember the the drought, but it was like the Pacers hadn't had a top ten pick for X number of years, and I remember being shocked at what the number was. I just can't remember it off the top of my
1: head. In terms of a single-digit pick. It was about 32 years. So I think it went back to Rick, Rick Smiths in 89. You had Paul George at 10. And look at the talent that you got. You got a great player at, you know, the, the highest that you've picked since then. So, and then there was Miles Turner at 11. So you're talking about good talent. But when you're picking 18, that's when you're looking at the Goga Batazes of the world or the TJ Leaps, And and right over there, that's a crap sheet. So I do think, especially now, given the injury to Chet Holmgren, that, then if can make the all-rookie first team, I would like to expect that Jabari Smith Jr. should be on that team with him, but I'd like to hear from you. Who do you think rounds out that first team? And if I'm wrong and it's not Matherin, I'd still like to hear from you. No, I, I think
2: that Matherin has an absolutely solid chance to make it there. I I, I assume, right, unless I'm completely off base here, right, he's going to have a starting role day one yeah, with the Pacers, be. right? There's not going to be anything about that.
1: But should be.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you got to look at it from the standpoint of, you know, the rookies who are not, who are being brought into a situation where they're going to be made a focal point. Um, They have the best overall shot to make something happen. I, I could very easily see Keegan Murray and, and Jaden and Ivey not actually making first team all rookie, if only because their roles are going to be a little bit I don't want to say different, in just in the sense that, like, Keegan Murray's on a Kings team that's trying to compete, right? So he may not be a focal point of what they're trying to achieve, depending on if they're running, you know, constantly all their action through De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis, and then, you know, there's going to be games where Harrison Barnes heats up and stuff. You know, Keegan Murray's numbers might not jump off the page, even though he might be, you know... Uh, crucial to their success. He might be a Mm -hmm. big part of what they're doing. He might not be highlighted as much as some of the other top tier rookies are. So Keegan Murray could fall off and just be, you know, second, you know, all rookie second team. Uh, And then conversely, Jaden Ivey, you know, the ball is still gonna be in Cade Cunningham's hands a lot. And so how much does that impact Jaden Ivey and what he's going to be able to display and put, you know, show showcase and all that stuff? So I think there's a very, very good shot that even if even if Chad Holmgren hadn't gotten injured, right, and he was still in play for this season, I think Benedict Matherin has a chance to to make some noise and be on that all-rookie first team just and and probably as good of a shot as any of the other five picks made ahead of him.
1: I'm really excited about it. it. Feels like a lock for one of those teams. But also we talked about, I mean, even we haven't even brought his name, but Chris Duarte was someone who was Really good as a rookie. I know he was hurt. He made the all-rookie second team, dropped 27 points in his first game last year. I mean, just someone that Pacers can get behind this young talent right over here. So uh, very excited. But that also kind of, you know, brings into, you know, there's still like Buddy Healed on the team and what we're going to do with that. So maybe, you know, as you're looking at this Pacers team, they're doing a youth movement. We talked about how they are shopping Turner and Healed. I mean, what are you to do right over here? Do you look to say, hey, look, we want some of these guys on the team for now, or do you want to just completely bottom out? Because here's what I'll say. You got Buddy Heald, who was playing. He started every single game for the Pacers last year, played over 35 minutes per game, but you still got Chris Duarte and Nick Mathram that you want to be able to get in at the two and three on the, on the Pacers. Then also, if you are to move on from Turner and Heald, while we're recording this just now, they announced that the salary cap... Will increase for next year. It's going to be about, it's going to project to be 134 million. This gives the Pacers an opportunity if they're to move on from Turner and deal, say, Buddy Heald. I mean, they could have upwards $75 million to spend next year. I mean, do you think the Pacers have to be sellers this year?
2: I don't know if they necessarily have to be, but I think that. It- you know especially if you've got two guys who are very clearly not going to be a part of your long-term future i think it would be a mistake not to capitalize on on moving off of them when when you can and i think right now the 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 deal that has been right you know it's it's indiana and la have been you know, just staring at each other in, you know, mm-hmm. dead in the eye for the entirety of the offseason, centered around whether or not there's going to be a salary dump, you know, of Russell Westbrook to, to Indiana in exchange for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. And the 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 holdup is the Lakers don't want to move on from it it seems like they just want to give away Russ and expect to get back quality, you know, players and not have to give up either of their future firsts that they have on the table in 2027 or 2029 which is just ridiculous. Um you keep seeing every, you know, national media talking head uh saying that, you know, the Lakers are, you know, they're 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 not giving anything up and they're confident in running it back and they're going to bring Russell Westbrook back. It's like, dude, like the propaganda machine is churning at full speed, just Big trying time. to, you know, trying to paint the Lakers as if they're not in the most desperate situation in the entire NBA to try and carve something out of nothing with this Russ situation that, you know, LeBron James kind of walked himself into by wanting the trade for Russ in the first place. So I, I think if you're Indiana, you want to prioritize the youth movement you want to prioritize development and but at the same time you don't want to mismanage an asset right you, you know if if you think you can you know flip buddy healed for a, a first round pick to another team or if you think you can get better value by trading those two players separately rather than patching, packaging them together for a Russell Westbrook salary dump what have you then you know that's the move you've got to take but i you know i i was sitting here looking at this Pacers roster michael and i i can't help but but think that I would very much like to see a starting lineup featuring, uh, featuring Chris Duarte, Benedict Matherin, and Tyrese Halliburton. Is that out of the realm of possibility? Do you think that's very much in the cards and, and, and on the table for
1: this Pacers team? I would love it to be. We just got to find out what's happening with Buddy because Buddy is the guy that that's, that's, I feel like, keeping Duarte from definitely being a starter right now. Because like I mentioned, you know, at the roster that we saw last year, at the end of the year, Duarte was hurt for most of it he got all the starts and I do feel like, look, when you make that investment in Matherin, I feel like you gotta, you gotta start him. So I feel like Matherin's going to be starting, but I'm wondering right now if Duarte is coming off the bench and I really hope he isn't because I want to see him blossom. He averaged over 13 points per game last year, which is one of the best Pacer rookie seasons. It really is uh, you know, with them being a franchise period. I want to say it was the highest scoring total for a Pacer rookie in, in you know, close to 30 years. So, At that point, I'm with you. I think all of us want to see that lineup. Buddy, good player, but like you mentioned, doesn't fit with the timeline of the team and all that. And I do think that shooting's always going to be needed. So for now, I think that Buddy probably does start for the season, but I don't think that lasts the year.
2: I could and I and I could see that right because then you're 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 rolling out a starting lineup right because uh Benedict Matherin has the size you yep. know maybe maybe you know you'd wish he was a little bit taller but he has the size and he's got mm-hmm. the body to play the three effectively he and does. then he gives you a backcourt of, of Halliburton and Buddy Healed you got Chris Duarte rotating in off the bench I mean that's a really solid you know guard lineup solid you know one two three rotation right out of the you know right out of the gate and again hopefully those minutes do open up a little bit further down the line because Chris Duarte definitely does deserve to be starting uh. Really polished, really quality player. Uh, again, I, I remember the Pacers getting a lot, getting some flack for for picking up Duarte. I liked the pick when, when, they, when they originally selected him.
1: I, yeah, so did I. Look, he's, you know, however you want to put it, he's an older rookie. I mean, obviously there's going to be jokes about him needing like a wheelchair because he's 24 years old as a rookie. The guy was NBA ready. I mean, like I mentioned, 27 points on opening night. I mean, there was a lot of rookies last year. Like
2: look, look, I, I, I'll say, Michael, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not any stranger to those types of older rookie jokes because the Rockets had Jay Sean Tate, yep. who was a rookie at 25 years old. Yep. So it's it's one of those where it's like, you know, and a and, uh, good good friend of mine, co-worker colleague, uh, Ryland Stiles from over at Locked on Thunder likes to joke around and say that Jay Sean Tate is collecting Social Security checks while exactly. playing for the NBA uh, or while, while, you know, making all rookie first teams. And uh, he's yep. just upset because uh, the Thunder didn't
1: find that talent over over. And the Rockets did. No doubt about it. Because like I mentioned, I mean, some people forget. But for that first month or so, Duarte was in the top three power rankings amongst the rookies. And I know, you know he, had a, he had a shoulder injury, a foot injury. It ended up shortening his season. But still good enough to make all rookie second team. But there were some people like my, my co-host Alex loved Moses Moody. And Moses Moody may very well be a very good player down the line, but he barely even got to play last year. And there was other players like Joshua Primo who were picked before Duarte that really didn't contribute much. So I do feel good about the Duarte pick. Look, if you probably knew you were going to be you know, flat out rebuilding, you probably go in a different direction, but the Pacers didn't. I think they hoped for the best, but they were able to pivot and I don't blame them. But when we talk about maybe what the books look like this year, we currently have a contract on our hands that you guys set up for us, and that's Daniel Tice. Look, last year, the Rockets inked Tice to a four-year, $36 million contract. He ends up starting 21 of the 26 games he plays for Houston, but you guys elect to move on. I mean, tell me, what was behind the Rockets' mindset when you signed Tice in the first place? So I- I've basically chalked it
2: up to something like this. Um, they knew what they had in Christian Wood. They were optimistic about his future. They very much knew that Christian Wood is not a full-time five at the NBA level. He's Mm -hmm. basically a stretch four that's tall enough to play the five situationally, but gets bodied by anybody that's, you know, north of 230 pounds. Mm. So... They brought in Daniel Tice to be the starting five next to Christian Wood and they wanted to run that lineup. Now, unfortunately, Tice is, has the ability to stretch the floor, but if you put a not, another non-shooter in the lineup with Tice, it mucks things up offensively. And that's unfortunately what happened to the Houston Rockets. They had Jay Sean Tate also starting at the three spot, and Tate, for everything he does incredibly well on the floor, the one drawback to his game is he is not a consistent outside three-point shooter yet. He's averaged about 31% across his first two seasons now as an NBA player, I believe, off the top of my head. And that caused a lot of issues, right? I mean, the Rockets went on a 15-game losing streak to start the year. And it was it was tough sliding there for a little bit. Now, effectively, I don't think that they expected Alper and Shingun to be as NBA ready as he was out of the gate. And so that was the other kind of wrench thrown into their equation, was they probably thought, okay, we've got Seawood, we've got Daniel Tice locked down to a, you know, relatively team-friendly long-term deal. And we're going to slowly bring along Alperin Shingun and Usman Gruba. They're going to be our two kind of developmental guys. And Shingun proved right away that he was worthy of those minutes. And so then Steven Silas had to kind of juggle balancing three legitimate bigs in the rotation but couldn't really play Christian Wood at the 5 a whole ton because Christian Wood at the 5 was just so so susceptible on defense it became kind of a liability there was just a lot of juggling moving parts and basically they got to a point where they were just like all right we don't have enough minutes to give to these guys we're just going to we're just going to bench Daniel Tice. And it was nothing against Daniel Tice. He was a pro's pro all the way through here's time in Houston. He was, you know, gave tons of advice and insight to the young guys on the roster, how to be a pro, how to, you know, all, all the all the mentorship you want from a from a stable NBA vet. But they, they effectively wanted to move Christian Wood to the five full-time, which is, again, is still kind of a a train wreck defensively, but that was the only way that they could make things, you know, sort of work. And then they made Alper and Shingun the de facto backup five behind Christian Wood. So it wasn't necessarily anything that Tice was doing wrong. It wasn't that he didn't fit in. It was just the Rockets realized that they had a talent on their hands at Alper and Shingun and needed to open up minutes for him. And subsequently, I mean, they just dealt Christian Wood this last off season. So or this past offseason, to make room for Alper and Shingun to be the starting center of the future for this Rockets team. So that shows you how high they kind of are on him. So I just think the timeline was, you know, they, they had two kind of developmental bigs in Shingoon and Garuba that they weren't sure whether or not they were going to be ready to play at the NBA level right away. They wanted to bring in one more big to try and help anchor the defense alongside Christian Wood. It didn't work out. And then they had him coming off the bench behind him for a little bit, but they also had Shingoon who was very clearly ready to play. So at that point there's just not enough minutes to go around and
1: that's that's why they ultimately moved on from him i do love me some shangun so i do think that you guys had a really good draft you know when, when you well, selected. it's it's, no,
2: hey, it's, it's shangun shangun plays a lot like a, you know one one former pacer debonta sabonis so there's yep. I, you know there's at least a, a
1: reason that you might like him <laughs> i definitely i definitely like his game and love his potential I, I do think he's gonna blossom now you guys had three picks in that draft uh you know um uzman gruba who's the other one i uh, and jalen green of course Um, How many picks is too many to have? Because the Pacers currently have three first-round picks for next year. We imagine after the Cleveland Cavaliers trade for Donovan Mitchell, that pick should convey they should make the playoffs. So it'll be the Pacers' first-round pick, um, the Cavs' first-round pick, and then the Celtics' first-round pick from the Malcolm Brogdon trade is three really where you feel like, all right, it's really hard to get rookie if you're going to keep all those picks. That's kind of the max. Are if you're the you are you just saying, "Let me get as many 2023 first as we can, and then we'll worry about that later on." I think more picks
2: is never a bad problem to have. Frankly, uh, you know, when when the Rockets had four first round picks that year because they did they did um, well. I, I apologize. They had three going into the draft, and then they traded for pick sixteen to scoop up Alper and Shingoon. So I, I I genuinely thought that it was going to be a stretch for them to make all three selections in the first place, and then they wound up proving me wrong and then some by scooping up a fourth rookie. Uh, so we're walking away with Jalen Green, Shingoon, Josh Christopher, and Usman Garuba. Josh and then Christopher, this- that's the
1: guy I left out. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And then even just this past year, they did three picks. They took up Jabari Smith Jr. at number three, Tari Eason at 17, and then they traded back to scoop up Ty Ty Washington at pick number 29. Steal, so, Yeah, Ty Ty Washington, absolute steal at 29 for sure. Um, again, I don't think there's ever such a thing as too many first round picks, but it does get to a point, and the Rockets are very much at this point right now where you start looking at the lineup and you're like, it's going to be really hard for some of these guys to get minutes because it's already a stretch if you're running a 10-man rotation in the NBA. Like, very few teams actually run like a uh, like a true blue 10-man rotation. It feels like the sweet spot is usually nine, sometimes 10, and then you've got mm-hmm. your, like, garbage time, guys. But as far as, like, actual consistent minutes where you can expect realistic development progress to be made on a night-to-night basis, you know, when you start... When you pick up seven seven first first round picks in in less than two years, like the Houston Rockets, you do start putting yourself up against a wall of like, oh, well, all right, this player's not going to get time, or this player has to go down to the G League or whatever. And that's not a bad problem to have. It does just mean that over time you're going to have to consolidate those assets. And if you if you miss on one of those rookies, right, then you maybe you look down at the pipeline. And you're like, man, we could we could have flipped that first or packaged a couple first and made a move for a player who's maybe more of an impact guy right away. So. You know, it's it's kind of a tough line to walk and a tough fence to straddle, if you will. I don't think three is out of the realm of possibility, though. And it wouldn't shock me to see the Pacers make all three of those selections if they can find, again, three guys that are on their board that they feel warrant those selections.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this 2023 drift, look, people love it. I think it's going to be a really uh, impactful class. And then you still got Turner and Heald, who you could flip for another first maybe each or maybe whatever it is that you work out. So there's a chance the Pacers could be looking at adding more first. I just wonder how it's all going to work, because then I mentioned they're going to have all that cap space. Who are you going to pay if you have all these rookies coming in? So I don't know if maybe they're setting themselves up for a potential big trade, waiting for that next disgruntled player to want out. Not to say Donovan Mitchell, but you look how Cleveland packaged a lot of assets together to be able to make that move. So it'll be interesting. But basically for my last question, I don't know if Daniel Tice is going to stick around. I heard he was rumored to the Pacers that were shopping him in any deal with the Lakers in hopes that they would be able to get off his salary. They have not really said anything about Tice. Like, they're not marketing him. And I know he's not really a marketable player like that. But if he is to stick on the Pacers, you know, we have him, I would say at this point, behind Miles Turner arguably behind Goga if you want to see more out of Goga who has not you know lived up to expectations but what can the Pacers expect from Tice even if it's off the court
2: again I I think he's a pro's pro he knows how to be a vet I think he's a good guiding voice to have in a locker room for any team that's got you know a plethora of young guys for sure he was always really you know really transparent, really upfront in, in, in his player interviews here in Houston, uh, just talking about, you know, kind of some of the struggles that the team was facing, but, but, you know, the, the ways that he was trying to, again, impress upon the young guys that, you know, it's not always doom and gloom, right? Just trying to keep everybody's, you know, heads, you know, screwed on tightly, all that good stuff. So off the court, amazing human being. He's very cool dude. Very down to earth on the court. He, he gives you a versatile defensive big. Like, he he very much knows what his role is, stays in his lane. Not quite a stretch five, again, like he's just, you know, a little inconsistent with that outside shot offensively. Um, and he doesn't provide you a whole lot more offensively outside of that. That was kind of one of the big issues is just, you know, he can spot up, he can hit some shots, he can set good good quality screens. He's not going to be like an impressive rim finisher or anything offensively, so don't get your hopes up in that regard. But if, if you need to slow down, you know, a Jokic or an Embiid, you know, put 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 Tice on him, and he's not going to stop either one of those guys. But there was one game that the Rockets had where they they went up against Jokic and uh, and the Denver Nuggets, and Daniel Tice actually did an like an admirably impressive job on you know making life difficult for Jokic. Even though he's only six foot eight, he's not like a legitimate big big. He is a quality veteran NBA defender who can give you a fighting chance on that side of the basketball, so that the rookies can then go do their thing offensively.
1: I'm looking forward to it. I don't know what his role will be. I mean, like I said, they have not even really mentioned that he's even on the team, basically. It's been that quiet. But at the same point, I love hearing that he's he's a pro's pro. And that's what you're looking for over here. So, uh, Jackson, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It had been way too long, but tell everybody where they could check you out on social media and some of the awesome content that you're putting out.
2: Absolutely, always a pleasure to be on the program with you, Michael. Um, you can track me down on Twitter at JT Gatlin. That's where I yell about all the miscellaneous things that I do. I cover the Houston Rockets specifically, and also the NBA for the Locked On Podcast Network. So I host Locked On Rockets five days a week, uh, in season five days a week right now, off season mode. Uh, and then I do every uh, Monday over at Locked On NBA. We do the three biggest stories from around the association, whatever's going on, or whatever's going on, big news from over the weekend, all that good stuff. So yeah, that's what I
1: got. Awesome. Hey, Jackson, we'll have to have you you back on again. But until then, I really appreciate you and we'll talk soon.
2: Absolutely. Looking forward to it, Michael.
1: Thank you very much, Jackson, for dropping some knowledge on us. Look, as you could see right now, I mean, Rockets fans, they're hyped about their rebuild. I'm sharing that same type of feeling right now. I want to see Tyrese Halliburton grow. I want to see Benedict Matherin blossom in front of our eyes. And I want to say, hey, these are guys that I remember night one when they made their debut, and hopefully 10 to 15 years later, They're still Indiana Pacers. That's what I'm looking for. So you can find, you know, something real positive in a rebuild. And I think that this year is going to be more fun than people think. So everybody remember, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. We really appreciate it. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. I mean, it means a lot, but please continue to give us feedback. So keep sending it our way. We really appreciate you guys. And you can check us out on Twitter at Setting the Pace Three, you can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore facci. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You could find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace, and make sure you check us out on YouTube at youtube.com/slash Setting the Pace of Pacers Podcast. That's where we're going to be having a ton of content. Moving forward, once the season's getting a little bit closer, but guys, if you are excited to see this team blossom in front of your eyes, win, loss, find out that the ceiling has been raised on this team, then I'm going to hit you with a, let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top, setting the pace,
2: going to the top, this is your number one podcast, sweeping every team, we gonna need a mop, smooth.
0: We're